Welcome to Wilderness Podcast, a passion project about wilderness and wild places, with your host, Adam Bronstein. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Wilderness Podcast. It's been a little while since I've released an episode. I'm glad I can be getting one out. And my wireless mic issues continue. In this case, I had a little piece of dirt or lint or something in the output connection for my wireless mic. Fortunately, my guest's mic was fine, but mine gets a little choppy. So just hang in there. Uh, it's an important conversation that we had. Um, I always hate when these things happen. and I'm trying to iron out the kinks a little bit. In this episode, I speak with Joseph Scalia, president of the Galton Yellowstone Wilderness Alliance in Bozeman, Montana. Joe is a practicing psychoanalyst in Livingston. We talk about the climate, ecological, and biodiversity crisis on Earth, group psychosis and pathological thought processes, how the big greens use propaganda to further their agenda, corporatization of the big greens, society's death drive to have fun, misrepresentation of Montanans' desire to protect wilderness study areas, Joe's time as president of the Montana Wilderness Association, his awakening and realization that he was participating in a destructive system, how to change hearts and minds within the conservation community, the social fallout from leaving the pack, and the spiritual gains of seeking the truth and higher purpose. I had a great visit with Joe in the Highlight Porcupine Buffalo Horn Wilderness Study Area, just north of Yellowstone National Park. And of course, in this program, we talk a lot about the roadless lands of the northern greater Yellowstone ecosystem. And I'm working often with the Galton Yellowstone Wilderness Alliance. We're trying to protect the remaining roadless lands of that area as wilderness. So I hope you will follow along and visit GaltonYellowstoneWilderness.org to get involved, to make a donation. We could really use your help. All right. Well, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Again, sorry for the audio issues. And I bring you Joe Scalia. Okay, Joe, we're rolling. All right. Hi, Adam. Uh, how you doing, Joe? You know, I am both doing really well in terms of spirituality in the largest sense of the word, not in the sense of there's a supernatural being God in the sky somewhere, but in terms of the human quest. And then I'm doing really poorly as in grieving what we're doing to each other as a species and to other species and to the planet. So I'm doing, I'm both. Yeah, it's a lot to think about right now. And as we try to change our course in a myriad of different ways, and of course, wilderness protection is one of them, it's it's hard not to ignore some of the bigger picture uh, factors and, and just the interconnectedness of our society, our values, our culture, and all of these different areas of intersection. Yeah. And um, it's really hard to ignore what's going on out there today. And of course, with all the, the political strife and corporatization of, of America and, and really how that's, that's taken hold and how it's driving our discourse and um, manufacturing the consent of our priorities to steal a line from uh, Noam Chomsky. So we're here in Montana in the Gallatin Range. Um, big surprise to our listeners and... Um, you know, this is such a, a flashpoint right now. And, Good term, flashpoint. Yes, it is. And and we're trying to, to really highlight what's, no pun intended with the highlight, but uh, um, trying to highlight what's happening here. And it really is a microcosm of, of what's going on across the country. Yeah. So this fight's worth it, man. And we got to keep talking and, and let people know what's what's going on and and how their interests are being represented or, or not being properly represented. So. Yeah, and bring bring the information to the public because indeed there has been a manufacturing of consent, a propagandization of the people, so that the people, the demos, doesn't really exist as a democratic entity. It's more just a 
a dystopian controlled entity. Um, yeah, it's, it's disturbing. And the only, and it, the only way to really offset that is in an honorable, not, um, self gratifying sense of the word to fight. There is a fight at hand. What really bugs me so much is that neoliberal economics, neoliberal capitalism has gotten us so far to the point where we are destroying our wildlands and biodiversity. Um, it's a true tragedy of the common situation where our public lands are, you know, are in the public trust and um, these are supposed to be yeah, I mean, looking beyond our multiple use mandates, which are congressionally mandated for extraction, when we're talking about our the remaining wildlands we have and just how these values of, uh, of, of wilderness have really just gone by the wayside. And, um, you know, we can trace this back to the 80s and, and rare, too, um, with the Wilderness Society and other groups. And, and that was really around the time that neoliberal capitalism started taking hold. Margaret Thatcher... Ronald Reagan. So we can really make this connection, but it just, it upsets me so much that this machine can, can grind out wilderness, something that should never ever be valued monetarily. It's just, it's too valuable to even, it's priceless, but, but yet we're carving it up and it's, it's being, it's being eaten by the system. Well, and it's ironic too, because if you're going to have, you could even look at an economic um, consideration, like you could factor that in, but and protect the land, but it would not be the kind of economy that we live in. It would be a transformed economy that might or might not be any form of capitalism. Um, I'm not an economist, but um, it would be an economy that was good for all and that was truly sustainably, not the politically appropriated term sustainable uh, in its perverse deployment, but sustainable for the planet and, and a, a diverse set of species across the globe it would be an economy of that nature then you could consider economics but we have an economy now that is destroying us destroying the earth destroying species it's it's a it's a it's a genocidal it's um it's a um a suicidal economy but we're in denial about it yeah, and coming back to, you know, making some of those connections between economics and, and wilderness. Um, so people out there, they, they feel this deep in their psyche about what's happening, what we're doing to the planet, what we're doing to species, what we're doing to ourselves. And I, I want to talk a little bit about co-extinction here in a little bit. But so we have a, an upper, an upper middle class. Let's say that, you know, the upper 10% of society, um, is, you know, they're feeling a lot of guilt, I believe, and it's, it's deep-seated, and they're reaching for something that they can do. And as a part of this process, they're, they're looking, um, the, you know, they're, they're, they're reaching for, for something, and, and that seems to be recreation right now. And um, the outdoor companies are really loving this, right? They're, they're able to sell products that they say are environmentally friendly, and they're running different campaigns that are protecting the environment. But at the same time, it's all working within the system that is destroying us. So I, I just find this really ironic that, um, you know, people are, are so traumatized that they're, they're making these ridiculous leaps of faith of, of, uh, of consumerism. And they're, and they're, they're continuing to consume and, and, and these corporations that are, you know, running these outdoor companies are really pushing that narrative that, that, yeah, you can buy our products and in doing so you're saving the environment. This is really important what you're talking about. And, you know, it's multifaceted, it's complex, right? There are manifold 
factors to have to hold in mind and look at the intersections, to use a word you used earlier, of them. But we've got to, if we're going to be honest with ourselves and each other, um, there is, so I, I, I want to add really a psychological critique to, and I've begun to do this just recently in, um, a radio interview with Jay Shell of KGVM, uh, radio out of Bozeman, the show wilderness and wildlife. And I, I, I'm starting to talk about and to put together my thinking about this, that there is a kind of insanity, literally, clinically speaking, on a group level, that is occurring. It's, um, it's psychopathological or pathological group processes that are occurring. And so we've got what my friend, the psychoanalyst Christopher Bolas, calls negative hallucination. That is, we're not seeing what's right in front of our eyes. We're wanting to believe that we can recreate um, endlessly. So part of that endless consumerism that will cause no harm magically. So now you've got magical thinking. Um, and, um, and, and you've got this kind of, uh, well, fear of thinking complexly, psychophobia and hatred of complex thought. Um, and so attacks on those who will speak these things, um, hatred of them, like, like project into them, the things that you don't want to face about yourself and accuse your interlocutor, your critic of those things. I mean, all of this is happening in the conservation movement right now, uh, 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 between essentially the grassroots um, community and the mainstream community. So the mainstream being the ones who are NGOized, who are being funded enormously by um, by essentially corporations, by foundations that are tax sheltered funded by um by corporations and major corporations and and so you've got environmental groups mainstreams so i'm going to name in montana the ones who are guilty of assaults on this land where we're standing greater yellowstone coalition montana wilderness association and the wilderness society who expands out of montana but but is, has a regional base in, in Bozeman, right here on the edge of the Gallatins. Um, and so they, it, it, they exist on the one hand to deploy this, let's endlessly um, enjoy and consume and are not seeing the harm that's being done. And they are presenting themselves as saviors. And so then you've got the grassroots groups who don't have the money and who cannot propagandize effectively and who are being told by the powerful groups, the wealthy groups, that um, we're defective. We are destroying the land by refusing to cooperate with them who are protecting it, who really aren't, that we're doing harm. This is projection. These are all pathological processes. <clears throat> um, they go on. I, I could name more. Um, megalomania, delusions of grandeur. Um, Narciss mania. Narcissism. I, extremely narcissistic. The narcissism, the self-centeredness, the thinking, I can have mine and not noticing the harm that's being done for that is so pervasive as to be difficult to wrap your head around. So then you've got people who vaguely intuit all of the horror of it and aren't ready to really educate themselves about it and accept the horror of it, who then want to believe they are being saved by those who present themselves as saviors, the big greens, including the three Montana big greens. And, and so it's kind of like the Trump base following Trump, only now it's happening within the conservation, the mainstream conservation community. Oh, these groups are doing good. Like, why do you grassroots groups want to criticize them? Um, they're taking care of it, right? And these groups, the mainstreams are 
effectively, again, propagandizing that they are taking care of it. And so, they would throw their hands up and go, oh, my God, you're comparing us to Trump? Yeah. Are yeah, you crazy, thanks. Joe? Yeah, thanks for, for <laughs> um, highlighting, underscoring that. Yes, I very purposely did that. And while um, on the one hand, there are obviously, I'll call it gross differences, um, there are really destructive similarities Um including this, you know, looking for a savior that doesn't exist while that savior is leading you down the garden path to your demise. Um, that's happening with Trump and his base. That's happening with the mainstream environmental groups and their supporters and, uh, and donors and staffers and board members. So let's talk a bit about recreation is not conservation. And we hear this quite a bit, um, <clears throat> And that's what's being pushed all over the United States. And people don't realize just how dangerous this mindset is. Um, in Vail, Colorado, there's um, good studies about elk displacement, whole herds being displaced because of mountain biking and intense, intensive use. In Colorado, and we've talked about Colorado before on this program, but it's really a, a good cautionary tale of of what can happen when this mindset is is um is enacted and, and played out and you know with with recreation there's more trails developed there's more infrastructure more trailheads widening of roads promotion of these areas um industry loves it because it gives um it allows them to expand their user base uh, we often hear the term recreation w r e c c k reation and it's um, it's really difficult to grapple with because you know we all love going outside and enjoying our wildlands, but too too often are we not considering the effects to wildlife. I did want to touch on coextinction. <clears throat> um, there's some great studies out there now that show once we start this cascade of extinctions. There is a whole host of dependent species that then start to fall. And that's what we're experiencing now in this mass extinction. So you can really turn right back into our own survival. And um, I'm afraid that humans are on that extinction list someday if we do not change course. Sure. And it might be way sooner than we want to think about. Yeah. 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 Just look at this year, right? All the things that have happened. The melting of the ice cap, um, the major fires that we're getting now in uh, mid-late September of 2020. Uh, yeah, it's uh, COVID-19, uh, it, just to name a few. Uh, yeah, it's, it's frightening. It certainly feels apocalyptic. Um, it's sobering. It's, it's tremendously grief-inducing. And where's the where's the wake up call with the big greens, right? Right, like they they're reading the same news we are. Right. Um, a, a lot of it comes out of the liberal media, which doesn't go in, into the detail that that is just so painful often. So you kind of have to dig and look for uh, sources that that will tell the truth about what's going on. But I but I have no doubt that you know this information is out there, and and the way that our society and our big greens are responding to this threat is it's, it's negligent. It's, it's dangerous. Um, and we have to be looking at biodiversity. We have to be looking at wilderness as a tool of preserving our biodiversity. And, and that really, that really boils it down. I mean, I, I, we, we have to stop the, the recreation and the extraction and, and, um, how, how do we turn that corner? Right. You know, um, yeah, there's so many things in what you just said. I, I, I'll, I'll just start with a footnote in response I'm, regarding media. You know, even media outlets who I've felt were really progressive, you know, I'm seeing more now their heads in the sand. Like, I'll name Democracy Now!, who I, I, I hope will pay attention in a complex and 
culturally critical or ideological critical way to the kinds of things we're talking about that they will yet pay attention to it and they may well do that but they haven't um and they've too much oversimplified and well like by talking about global warming and climate change without talking about environmental collapse and the many contributions to environmental collapse but yeah it's like how do we turn the ship and um i i want to talk about another psychoanalytic concept um which in freud was called the death drive as opposed to the life drive and then evolved as it was oh made more complex <laughs> as human thought evolved um and and is in our current understanding we call it jouissance and um and it's which is i guess obviously a french word roughly which is all we can do is roughly translate it so roughly translated means enjoyment but it means in lacanian psychoanalysis a very specific kind of enjoyment it means the insistence on constantly available satisfaction so i don't have to limit my fun basically so it's reckless so it's it's death drive it's i will have fun no matter if it kills me or anyone else it's like a friend who i won't name <laughs> out of out of uh kindness to him um who i haven't seen in forever but he and another friend and i were going up granite peak some years ago and a long day hike up and back and we got close to the top and he's just manically maniacally talking about i will reach the top no matter if it kills me and bill and i the other friend realize he means no matter if it kills us too and so i didn't go we got to the snow bridge and i just was i was already intimidated by the snow bridge so i was like this is a good place to stop and um i didn't even see the snow bridge i i stopped a little ways from it look overlooking the gap between the snow where the ridge sits between the snow bridge sits between granite peak and a ridge um and bill comes back and he says yeah mario did almost kill me he was in front of me and he's kicking boulders down on me mario oh, i named him oh well sorry mario um, <laughs> he'll probably never hear this um he reached the top but um bill didn't bill turned around but so it's that it's 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 a it, metaphor yeah and that's what we're doing with mountain biking with recreation w r e c k um reation um it's that it's that belief we can just keep having fun and it's not going to cause harm it's not seeing that this is driving us to death of various sorts and you know the solution to that well now we can go to we had talked about this before the interview about wanting to address this about Aldo Leopold's work the address, the the solution really is not only societal but individual responsibilities that have to amass towards society build a critical mass um and so there is no excuse for indulging yourself in that kind of death drive activity and in supporting political causes and strategies that support it and and so leopold talked about juvenile approaches to recreation and needing to grow up he was talking about trophy hunting at the time but it's very clear if you read him if he were alive now he would see the same about mountain biking it's like you can understand some of this in teenagers but you know hopefully we come out of our adolescence psychostructurally speaking most of us do not come out of our adolescences and that's what we need to do so those of us who are on the edge and i think there are a lot of people on the edge there it's like well do i grow up or do i not do i face the really hard decisions do i take the risks that would be involved if i speak up do i lose friends if i speak up 
do I be reviled by people who have admired me if I speak up? Do I do that or do I not? Right? And all sorts of risks. That's but one. Um, for the up for the sake of the life drive, our lives, our friends' lives, society's lives, wildlife, the planet. Right. So, yeah, there, jouissance. We talk a lot about in this culture of finding happiness. And, and I've come around to this in the last three or four years, especially that I think seeking happiness is part of that death drive. It's, it's a narcotic that we, we try to fill and we can never get enough. Yep. Yep. And I feel like, you know, we can experience happiness in fleeting moments and that's how it should come. And it should come organically, but I feel like finding content yeah. is really where it's at. That's the ongoing happiness that one can responsibly hope to attain. And actually, when you manage to make the transformation in yourself from the one side to the other side, so from that adolescence to this sort of contentment that you're talking about, which is really a very advanced form of being human and is a transformation, is a formation of, of a profound maturity in oneself, then that contentment is way more interesting than the bonsai, gotta have fun, gotta have my neurons all charged up, um, it's, it's way more gratifying, but it's not juvenile. And that greater societal fallout from these pathological lines of, of thinking or life approaches are, are just so profound and, and we see it across all of our society. Yeah. And it's, it's really sad. We do. We do. I, I have, <laughs> I talked about another analyzan, which is the term for a, a person in analysis, the one on the, the psychoanalytic couch. I, I talked about another analyzand in a recent interview, and I'm going to say briefly about one today who talked about um, toys in the in the in the in the backcountry, in wild lands, and so mountain bikes and motorized toys, and um, she was like, I know, I know, I shouldn't support groups like these groups that are saying it's okay to do this, but God, I so much like my toys out there. It's like, whoa, there it is. I mean, she at least said it. There's a place for the toys, but not in high wildlife value areas. And, and, and if you can move away from the toys, all the better. The amount of, of ATVs and dirt bikes and side-by-sides out there now are, are really disturbing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I don't want to say that there's a place for toys everywhere. Sure. But, sure. you know, it's, I, I have to be careful where I go with this, but, you know, it's, it's not a means to an end. It's just not. No, that's great. And it's good qualification. And I mean, certainly the question is, are we damaging the biotic community? Are we damaging things on a conservation biological um, level? Um, so are we working to sustain the integrity of uh, the biotic community? Or are we doing things that contribute to its damage and possibly ultimate destruction? It's like that's... That's the always orienting question for conservationists. So obviously you can ride a mountain bike somewhere and not be um, causing the ultimate demise of the biotic community. It's like, so where are you doing it and in what concentrations are you and others doing it? And what are the effects of that? And that's what's being... Um, negatively hallucinated and even censored from the conversation by the grassroots, uh, or the, the grass, the grassroots opponents, the, the mainstream, the supported by big corporate money, um, or their foundations, um, mainstream groups, they are censoring 
any real public knowledge of, of those considerations for limits of us in, upon the biotic community. It, it, is, it is not only negatively hallucinated, it is actively censored, which is a whole nother psychological thing to think about that I've only begun to try to analyze. So can I put you on the metaphorical couch here for a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So you were once president of the Montana Wilderness Association. Yeah. You were the president of the board. Yep. And you've had a an epiphany. You've, <laughs> you've had a turnaround. And can you tell me what what mindset you were in, what work you were involved with with that group? Yeah. And what brought about this change in you? And, and this, this story is, is really important for people to hear. Um, it also speaks incredibly highly of you and your character to be able to recognize that, to change your, your course, and to be willing to openly talk about it. I think that, you know, we want to talk about maturity. Um, that just speaks such high, high volumes about you. Well, thanks, Adam. Yeah, I, I will address that, of course, as you know. Um, so I, before I got on to the board of Montana Wilderness Association, I had been not an activist or organized environmentalist, just a, someone who deeply appreciated wildlands and spent a great deal of time there. My wife and I lived off the grid the first two years of our only child's, our now quite adult child's life, um, our son. Um, and we lived in very wild country. Our, our neighbors were not humans. They were mountain lions and black bears. Um, and um, I mean, that's who we saw off our porch, not another house. And... Yeah, we lived very close to the land. No electricity, no running water, lots of going into wilderness areas. But I wasn't an activist proper. Um, I was, in a way, kind of politically uneducated, broadly speaking. And I was also busy making a living um, that was as a therapist in my pre-psychoanalytically trained days and formed days, a distinction I won't go into now, but matters in the psychoanalytic world. Um, but then as my son got older and I was able to have, and my career allowed me to kind of expand, and as I'd been reading, reading philosophy uh, deeply and closely, um, philosophy of the Western world from Plato on, Socrates on, um, I just started having an, a progressive awakening and started understanding the need to fight for conservation. And so I got involved in Montana Wilderness Association, got on their board, which was then called the State Council, now it's called the Board of Directors, and I was served for seven years and the idea, so I was still, but you'll see, I mean, I was still naive in certain critical ways. I did not yet have a real education in the critique of ideology and I still was not well formed as a psychoanalyst. I was in formation. So I had some growing up to do in a variety of ways still and I didn't appreciate the implications of that. And so here comes this, I, I knew there was so much tension in the environmental community, and here I am, a healer by spirit. I'm also a fighter by spirit, and those are two things I've had to wed, um, which has been a good work. But, um, but I erred on the then unintegrated healer side, which a lot of people are doing, by the way, in the mainstream environmental group wanting to err on the let's get along with others kind of healing. But I think it was deeper in me because I'm a healer, like by practice, by vocation. And, um, 
And so here comes this collaborate and compromise model. And I didn't know how tied it was to foundations and corporations. I only knew this sounds wonderful. Sounds like, God, we can really work together and protect the land and stop this this what seemed like a kind of a needless, really fruitless, I'll just call it metaphorically masturbatory infighting within the conservation community. So I supported this. And then in time, I realized what was happening. So what was happening was, well, what I've already said, and we've talked about before you asked me this question, the collaborate and compromise model is something that's been promoted by foundations and has linked up with what uh, Michael Soule um, calls the new conservation in in one of his last critiques um, and where he speaks by, about the dangers of it. And here's, you know, from a conservation biological perspective um, that it's, it's blind and, and it's this idea we can just keep taking our pleasure and filling the earth more and more with ourselves and domesticate the hell out of it and make it a big old garden or city park everywhere. And that that somehow is viable. And so this services jouissance, it services unending economic growth, it services the, the enrichment of the ultra-wealthy, all endlessly. It also causes the demise of the earth and savage inequalities getting even more savage within the economy of capitalism. Um, but those things can be not seen, and we can think especially with good propaganda by the big greens. Oh yeah, this is all doable, but of course it's not doable. So yeah, I had to face these things as I realized them more and more. And was it painful? Um, it's, it really became more painful a while. So, so I, I came out publicly opposing this some, quite some years ago. I, I have to look. Uh, I and some others who were past board members of MWA came out with a piece about this that appeared in Counterpunch. Um, so I can look it up and see what year that was. I'm curious now. Um, it's become more painful as I've as like gone through my own maturing and reckoning with harms that I've done that I didn't realize I was doing and when I first realized the error of, of these MWA ways, I, I didn't realize the, the breadth and depth of the harm. And I think really I didn't have the, as much, well, certainly I didn't have as much capacity as I do now to, um, to embrace my responsibility that has caused harm. And so, yeah, I did in subsequent years have to go through a real um, grief and forgiveness of myself for having been essentially culturally symptomatic or symptomatic vis-a-vis -a, -vis a capitulation to, you know, a, a, a cultural um, a hallucination, negative hallucination and delusion. Um, and um, yeah, I had to, I had to work through that, that, that took some years. So what would you say to people inside of some of these organizations who might be having an awakening or, or at least it's just under the surface and it's trying to rupture through? Right. Um, and as they grapple with, with you know, some of these issues, what would you say to them? And um, what's, the, what's the urgency of, of them maybe strongly considering to, to move in this direction. Yeah. You know, you know, <clears throat> the thing that jumped into my mind right away, because kind of as a surprise answer, it's, um, uh, it's, uh, it's to look at their rhetoric, look at what they say to defend themselves because it's horridly simplistic and it's tiny little sound bites that don't really piece together into any kind of coherent, complex honoring of the complexity that exists um, um, epistemological whole it's like it it's like logically bankrupt and vacuous 
and to just, first of all, listen to themselves as they argue their cases, because if they really just heard how they speak, it's, it's embarrassing. But let's say they've accepted that, and, we're, and let's, let's talk about individuals in the group. So we're trying to get people to think critically. Um, you know, maybe they would start speaking sure. internally. Maybe they would try to start influencing, steering the ship. Um, yeah. What, what would you say to them? I would say be willing to um, take a truly higher ground. Be willing to accept attacks upon your person, upon your integrity, um, by the people in power who have the power to smear you. Um, be willing to lose friends um, and know that that's not where those things that you're losing are not about the meaning of life. Um, there are more important things. So Brene Brown um, talks about the metaphorical wilderness. And this is sort of, I think, a really important thing to, to talk about, where we leave the comforts of our social groups and we put ourselves out there. And this is a really painful process for most humans as being social creatures. But I think once you come out of the other side, it's a very healing to the psyche, especially if that's what you truly believe deep down. Yeah. And it's like the short-term pains for the long-term gains. And, and you will find other people who, who share those, those values. And um, mm -hmm. I, can also, I can almost imagine it's like coming out as gay in, in a community that may not be fully receptive uh -huh. and it's just that coming out is, is so painful but then you find your, your group and then you're kind of like ah you know you can only imagine what that's like and and that's that's what came to mind um immediately is, is leaving leaving the safety of the herd to uh to find your true self and and to discover that and 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 to to grow into that yeah that's good um Two things I'll, I'll add to that. Um, one, even in finding a different group, you may not find the kind of support and the consistency of support you might have hoped for. So, for example, um, a... Um, grassroots conservationist when I um, was making my movement out of the mainstream conservation community um, and speaking up for a criticism, you know, a, a, a critique of, of the ideology of those groups, um, a grassroots conservationist uh, was really hostile and contemptuous towards me um, like didn't trust me. Like <laughs> I have always stood my ground for what's right. Unlike you. Right. So it's like, wow. Um, so you'll find that anywhere. And so, yes, you do have to be able to do what you said, like lose those props, those supports that aren't really supportive and find real support of, of people who really um, support you for your integrity, um, where you are actually practicing integrity, but know that you'll still get, you know, mistreated by people who you would hope wouldn't mistreat you. And, and yeah, that being able to stand your ground and find a deep meaning in your life has to come with, without that, you know, insistence upon being propped up. Um, it, it, that's got to fall. I like to hope that there's an awakening 
in what's going on, but I feel like there's still so much more work to do, so many more conversations to be had. Yeah. Um, I fell for the propaganda. At one point, I supported the Blackwater, um, the the Blackfoot Clearwater Stewardship Act. Uh I fell for that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's, let's talk about that University of Montana. Yeah. um, Study. Yeah. Crown of the Continent. Um, It recently came out that surveyed Montanans about how they feel about uh, what should happen with our wilderness study areas in 81%, I believe, support either keeping existing wilderness study areas or expanding them. And this is, if I remember correctly, it's about 58% of Republicans, 91% of Democrats, and I could be fudging that a little those, bit. Those numbers are really close. I don't have them memorized either, but that's really representative of the numbers. They're staggering numbers. So here in the Gallatins, Montana Wilderness Association is using that poll to prop up their campaign. But what's completely ironic about it is they want to release part of, parts of this wilderness study area, uh, including the area that we're standing right now. Yeah. Um, and, but they're using this poll as, as justification for what they're doing. And, and what's, again, what's so ironic about it is it's the questions asked of the poll do not support the actions that they're proposing. They're going against it. Yeah. yeah. And if, if people understood this, that the wilderness groups today are not fulfilling their desires, if, if this poll is at all accurate. Yeah. And, that, and that's where we're at now. That's where we're at. And so, pe- right, people don't realize they've been propagandized. They've been propagandized by really what you're citing about this this poll by the University of Montana and its Crown of the Continent survey is um, is that Montana Wilderness Association very publicly in their um, PR work. I mean, it's right out there. It's on their website. Uh, if it's not been taken down by now, um, do exactly what you said. They, they, they link their proposal for the highlight porcupine Buffalo horn wilderness study area, which would eviscerate the most critical parts of it. Um, the, Porcupine and buffalo horn drainages, um, lower elevation valleys that are gorgeous and um, and and like practically flow into one another and and are just this massive miles deep um, area of of forest and meadow and streams that is rich grizzly bear corridor country and um, critical for grizzly bear migration out of the Yellowstone ecosystem to the Northern Rockies ecosystem and thus for the continued genetic integrity of of the Yellowstone grizzly um, so that it can survive um, because it can't forever as 700 bears out of just Yellowstone. And and for amongst other species, and I'm not, you know, a botanist and not the greatest person to say this, so I'll only try to say, well, the wolverine is being seriously threatened by this also by MWA's plan, but also um, the major elk herd that winters and gives birth there in those drainages. So all of this would all be eviscerated from the WSA. And by MWA's, GYC's, and TWS's plan as all part of the so-called Gallatin Forest Partnership. And so, yes, they're using the University of Montana's survey to say that Montanans are in support of what they're doing with this evisceration, this seeding um, of the porcupine and buffalo horn. When really, so then, that is uh, that is a perversion of... Um, that's the word misrepresentation. Yeah, but it's also perversion's a really interesting term. You know, Uh it's like a, it's like taking something that is, that is, that is known and organizes thought and society and completely throwing it over and making up your own that serves you. That's perversion. 
And so you can see how that's, how that would be in sexuality, but it's, but there's perversions of all sorts, not just sexual. And so this is a perversion of language and it's, it's, and it's horrid and it's, so it's appropriative, it's dissimulative and, and it's, and it's destructive and it's insulting to the, to Montana citizenry. And, it, but yeah, it is, it is brazen. It's a brazen misrepresentation by MWA. That's why I'm not sure if they haven't pulled it down because I've cited this already published about it and I think been interviewed elsewhere about it, but I know I've published about it, you know, in print and they may have pulled it. I, they're reading what I've been writing. I know because they've contacted me very upset with my critiques of them and tried to say, Oh, you're, you know, you're making the conservation community look divided, which is going to make it harder for us to protect the land. And it's like, well, I do hope I'm making it harder for you to do to the land what you're trying to do. And it sounds like I'm having some success. So thank you for letting me know. (laughs) God, I, it's funny. I mean, I think a lot of them, like their staffers really don't get it. It's very sad, but maybe we're getting them to think. What I hope is that we are getting their membership to think and maybe some of their board members to think. Um, I don't know. And this has all spawned the Gallatin Yellowstone Wilderness Alliance, a volunteer group to um, pick up and, and, and do the work that's needed. Yeah, and we have, so many of us have been publishing being interviewed, um, writing letters to the editor, guest columns for the newspapers, um, doing public presentations, especially before coronavirus. Um, and um, we're collectively, um, we're being heard. It's, it's good. We are, we are entering the public discourse. We don't have the money to enter it as much as these big greens have, but we have significantly entered it. Okay, Joe, I guess we'll, we'll call it there. We could talk forever. Um, but, uh, just want to remind everybody we are in an ecological climate and biodiversity crisis, and we have to start thinking about this in a very serious way. We need our conservation groups to, to start taking this as the serious issue that it is. So let's keep talking, let's keep fighting, and um, we'll keep forming our own groups. We'll address this if we need to. And um, encouraging all the activists out there who might be thinking of starting their own group or getting involved to do so. Because a lot of the groups that we have trusted to do this and take it on are not doing so, and the situation is too dire, and it calls for resistance and, and, uh, and activism. Yeah. So everybody out there, let's, uh, let's make some moves and fight. You can fight respectfully. You can, <laughs> you can be a healer and fight at the same time. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for listening to this episode of wilderness podcast. You can find us online at wildernesspodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe through your podcasting app. If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit wildernesspodcast.com backslash support. Thanks for listening.